Hello, you're listening to the VJ Hemong podcast. 2019 has been an exciting year for treatment options in CLL. We bring you an overview of the trial updates presented at the recent EHAR and ICML meetings, including CLL12, Alpine and Resonate. These trials have demonstrated the growing clinical relevance of novel drugs in the treatment of CLL, as opposed to traditional chemotherapies. To start, Patrick Thornton from Beaumont Hospital in Dublin summarises the key findings from the trials presented at EHAR, including the efficacy of novel agents such as ibrutinib and venetoclax in treatment of both frontline and relapsed cases of CLL. We're currently at EHA and uh, as a follow-on from ASH with the news in CLL, I mean at ASH there were uh, three, uh, three presentations on frontline treatment for CLL of the traditional chemotherapy agents, uh, fludarabine, benamustine and clarambosil. There was an ECOG study and uh, Illuminate study and uh, they showed that the novel agents like Brutinib was superior than chemotherapy. Now at EHA, uh, we had the presentation from the German CLL study group of CLL-14. And CLL-14 was a frontline venatoclax combined with the monoclonal antibody benetuzumab versus clarambucil and the monoclonal antibody benetuzumab. And this showed in a similar fashion to what we heard at ASH, that the novel agent venatoclax is superior to chemotherapy in combination with an antibody. And uh, you had results of high 80% versus 60% progression-free survival at at two years. So I think more and more with ASH and now EHA, we are learning that these novel agents should be brought forward into the frontline setting because they're superior and likely have lower toxicity levels than standard chemotherapy. So I think what we're moving towards in uh, CLL is the novel agents and possibly the end of chemotherapy. And that's in frontline therapy. We also have news in relapse. And if you want to, if, if you permit me, we call it relapse one, which is relapse after frontline therapy. And again, we had uh, uh, the Murano study, uh, which showed people who relapse after BC, BCL receptor inhibitors, such as abrutinib or adlalacib, again, showing a excellent response rate. And then we also had a very interesting presentation called the Vision Study by author was Cater. And uh, this showed uh, good results for relapsed patient, excellent 90% response rate for combination of venatoclax and abrutinib in people whose uh, disease comes back a certain time. So this, this is great news for CLL patients uh, that these novel agents are effective in frontline and also effective in, in, in salvage treatment. When we think about patients who relapse for a second time, we have uh, from the Murano study, people can be salvaged after a brutinib. And uh, now we have many presentations on the new treatment CAR T cells, which is an uh, immune T cell therapy, which can be shown to salvage people even when the novel agents have failed. So all the way through the treatment paradigm, we're improving response rates. I think uh, nowadays, a relapse two hopefully will be a very rare event when we move forward the novel agents, both in uh, monotherapy and in combinations, we're getting excellent response rates. What we're also seeing is uh, what's called uh, MRD negative patient, which means the depth of the response is very deep and uh, you can't detect any CLL even at you know, levels of less than 100,000 cells. And this usually translates as a better 
progression-free survival. I guess now the debate coming in CLL is in the novel agents, what order do we give them in? Should we combine them? Uh, should the treatment be continuous or should the treatment be finite? Obviously, there's advantages to finite treatment. P patients aren't on treatment all the time. Uh, some of the combinations, and there's a recent publication in the New England Journal of Medicine from the Andy Anderson Group about the combination of ibrutinib and venanoclax in frontline, and the response rates are you know, close to 100%. They're excellent with MRD negativity. So those combinations are very effective and maybe the way forward in the future. The combinations also have the advantage that you may be able to stop treatment after maybe one, two or three years rather than uh, indefinite therapy. Uh, obviously there's advantage to that both for the patient who can stop treatment and also you know, fiscal because you're not paying for your therapy years and years in advance. So the other interesting things, uh, the news from EHA is uh, we've now moved, because these treatments are so good, as many of your patients will be aware of, uh, the standard treatment uh, for people after CLL is early diagnosed is to do nothing. It's surveillance or watch and wait. Traditionally, we observe patients until they develop symptoms or progression requiring treatment. Tomorrow at EHA, they will be... Uh, uh, producing the results of the CLL-12 study, which is an observation versus treatment with ibrutinib in what you call high-risk CLL patients. So I do with, with keen interest uh, the results of that because that may change our treatment paradigm for watching weight patients. And also for the future, uh, Professor Hallett gave an overview of CLL treatment and also the future German CLL study group. Uh, their next trial will be something called CLL-17 which will be a chemo-free uh, treatment, both uh, using the BCL2 inhibitor venatoclax and likely a of the B-cell receptor inhibitor, uh, alone and in combination. And that will be for all patients fit, unfit, P53 deleted and P53 wild type. And so that will be the next study, which hopefully will be starting just in over a year's time. So there's a lot happening with CLL and the news, I'm pleased to say, is excellent. Leading on from Patrick Thornton, Petra Langerbines of the University of Cologne, principal investigator of the CLL-12 trial, discusses the results of treatment with ibrutinib in patients with early stage CLL. The majority of CLL patients is diagnosed at an early stage and um, so far there has been no proven benefit of an early chemo or chemo immunotherapy in this subgroup of patients. And with the approval of novel drugs, which act more specific um, on the B-cell compartment, we wish to ask the question if early stage patients might benefit from an early treatment intervention with ibrutinib. So the key conclusions from the CLL12 trial were that as expected, the time, the event-free survival, meaning the time from randomization until symptomatic disease progression was as expected um, significantly higher in the ibrutinib group compared to the placebo group. And the uh, quite surprisingly finding was that yes, indeed, we could delay time to chemoimmunotherapy. Only 15 patients of the ibrutinib group received a second line treatment, whereas 59 patients of the placebo group received a second line treatment with the vast majority receiving chemoimmunotherapy. And this was the question we initially wished to address, whether or not we could delay time to chemoimmunotherapy. And I think one of the uh, biggest finding, which was quite surprisingly for all of us, was that there was actually no significant difference in adverse events when looking at ibrutinib compared to placebo. So this was a very surprising finding. 
Well, actually, if you really want to answer the question, if patients benefit from an early treatment intervention with ibrutinib, you have to have the survival data for those patients. And this trial is powered for survival, but at this time point, we have not the data yet. We have to wait until 28 deaths have at least been documented. So unless there is no survival data, the strategy for this subgroup of patients remains watch and wait. Well, I think one of the major challenges right now is that we have a lot of novel drugs available. But we still have to look which drug fits to which patient because um, all the drugs, ibrutinib in particular, have their very specific toxicity profile. So I think this is going to be one of the most challenging questions to see in the future which drug fits for which patient. The next step um, in the treatment landscape of CLI patients would be to find a way or the right combination to terminate the first-line treatment. Um, as you might know, the now approved treatment options of novel drugs are on a maintenance basis. So the next step is going to be to terminate this treatment by a wisely chosen combination of probably certain novel drugs plus minus an antibody. Now we have Alessandra Tedeschi from Naguada Cancer Centre Milan who discusses the five-year follow-up of the Resonate trial of ibrutinib as a monotherapy compared to treatment with ofatumumab in patients with relapsed or refractory CLL. The Resonate 2 trial was a trial designed for the elderly population because CLL is a disease of the elderly and uh, treat elderly patients is a difficult matter. They poorly tolerate immunochemotherapy and the Resonate 2 trial was designed to compare the efficacy and safety of uh, ibrutinib versus uh, chemotherapy. In that moment, the standard of line, uh, the standard of treatment for elderly patients was chloramucil. Now it's mostly immunochemotherapy, but when the study was designed, the control arm was represented by only chloramucil. And uh, uh, the importance of the long-term follow-up is that ibrutinib is given continuously. So we wanted to do if, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, the results were maintained with a longer follow-up and uh, we saw a better progression of survival and uh, normal survival that were maintained even with a follow-up at five years. And uh, the other issue is if uh, uh, the safety profile of ibrutinib continues uh, to be uh, so with a continuous treatment with a longer follow-up and we saw that uh, the uh, adverse events were mainly seen in the first year of treatment and so the prevalence of adverse events decreased over time and uh, what was important is uh, that discontinuations and uh, uh, dose reductions are mainly seen in the first year that means that after the first year patients may continue ibrutinib without any major problems. Next, Susan O'Brien of the University of California discusses the developmental drug sanabrutinib of the Alpine trial and acalabrutinib from the Ascend trial and their potential benefits over ibrutinib. We're now, you know, ibrutinib is a very effective drug, but they're now kind of next generation uh, BTK inhibitors, uh, two different types actually. There are the kind that are covalent binders, like ibrutinib is, and there are two prominent ones there, acalabrutinib and zanabrutinib. 
Um, acalabrutinib has actually been approved, but not in CLL. It's approved for mantle cell. And xanabrutinib has not been approved yet. It's a little bit farther uh, behind in development, but in registration trials right now for potential approval. Uh, both of these drugs have the putative advantage of uh, possibly producing less side effects. And the reason for that is they're both very potent inhibitors of BTK, which is what we want. But some of the other kinases that are inhibited to some extent by ibrutinib, uh, which are thought to be responsible for some of the side effects of ibrutinib, such as the bleeding, such as the atrial fibrillation, these drugs have higher IC50s against those kinases. So in other words, it takes much higher doses to inhibit those kinases. So there's a hope that both of them will produce less uh, of some of the side effects like bleeding, like atrial fibrillation. Um, efficacy data with both of these drugs in clinical trials looks very promising, I would say, at least as good as ibrutinib. It's going to be hard to prove it, it, it's better when we have you know such high response rates with ibrutinib. Although acalabrutinib uh, does have a head-to-head comparison, as does xanabrutinib. They're, they're slightly different trials. In the acalabrutinib trial, it's in relapsed refractory high-risk patients. So those with CLL with a 17P deletion or an 11Q deletion who are relapsed are randomly um, assigned. And that trial has actually reached accrual, uh, but we don't ha- we haven't seen the data yet in terms of the progression-free survival. Uh, the other drug, the xanabrutinib, is also in a randomized relapse trial versus ibrutinib, but that's all comers. And the primary endpoint on that trial is actually going to be response. Um, so we will await both of those trials. There's also another category of, of B-cell receptor inhibitors now that are non-covalent binders, and those are much earlier in development. There's a number of them that are in phase one, and the, the potential advantage of those is that we know from Ohio State data that in patients who develop clinical resistance to ibrutinib, according to their data, as many as 80% of them have a BTK mutation. Um, so the non-covalent inhibitors, their advantage is that they're not binding in the same spot, and so they should be effective even in patients who develop a BTK mutation. Uh, and certainly preclinically, they are effective in that setting as well as, as well as against the wild-type BTK. So they could have as good efficacy as ibrutinib, plus be able to work in patients where ibrutinib uh, is they become resistant to ibrutinib. But again, those drugs are much earlier in development. All of them are, are in phase one, and uh, we will look forward to seeing those results as they become more mature. Following this, we have Paolo Ghia of the University of Vita Salute San Rafael in Milan discussing the results of the ASCEN trial of vacalabrutinib compared to current standard treatments. The ASCEN study is a phase three study uh, that compares, uh, for the first time, uh, monotherapy of a BTK inhibitor, the acalabrutinib, versus uh, what is mm, kind of standard therapies in CLL, uh, which is uh, uh, either idelalysis plus rituximab or bendamastin plus rituximab in the relapsed refractory uh, setting. And the study that we presented here at EHA show that uh, indeed acalabrutinib monotherapy is much more effective than these established uh, therapies. So um, uh, progression-free survival, the median progression-free survival was not reached after 16 months, while instead uh, um, uh, the other two drugs, either two drugs, uh, had a, P- a median PFS of uh, six, around 16 months. Um, the interesting point that after one year, uh, 88% of the patients 
and still did not progress, while instead the 69 uh, progressed uh, uh, when treated either with adelazib, placetuximab, or bendamustine placetuximab. On top of this, uh, as we expected, somehow a calabrutinib uh, showed a, a very uh, well-tolerated uh, profile, uh, so less adverse events, uh, the, 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 the typical adverse events that you would uh, expect from a BTK inhibition uh, were present, but at, at a lower frequency. So we had uh, much less um, uh, bleeding and uh, atrial fibrillation. Um, so we believe that this is a therapy that uh, hopefully in the future may become another option for the treatment of patients with CLL. In the case of CLL, treatment can be made more difficult by the presence of a complex carrier type. Here Dr. Othman Al-Sawaf of the University Hospital Cologne talks through the findings of the CLL-14 trial, which looked to test efficacy of novel drug combination venetoclax ovonotuzumab in complex carrier type CLL. For complex carriers, we did a complex carrier type analysis in this in uh, this study. So in CLL14, complex carrier type occurred in approximately 15% of all the patients, the 432 that were randomized within this clinical trial. And um, we observed a significantly shorter PFS as well as um, overall survival in patients in the chemoimmunotherapy arm, um, indicating a very poor outcome when patients have complex carrier type. Uh, in contrast to that, we saw that patients um, with complex karyotype did not have an inferior outcome uh, in PFS or in uh, overall survival when treated with venetoclax ubinutuzumab. And we observed sustained and similar MRD response rates in patients with, um, treated with venetoclax ubinutuzumab. So patients with complex karyotype and non-complex karyotype had similar MRD negativity rates of um, approximately 78% in both cases uh, in, in peripheral blood, um, indicating deep uh, responses with, in patients with complex karyotype. And this is actually the first time that a prospective trial has shown that uh, complex karyotype and the adverse prognosis associated with it can be overcome when, uh, when a chemotherapy-free regimen is initiated as a first-line treatment. Next, Arnon Kater from the University of Amsterdam discusses the potential impact of venetoclax and ibrutinib in combination, focusing on relapsed and refractory patients. Yesterday we presented data on the first uh, interim analysis of the vision trial where we have uh, studied 51 patients and those 51 patients had reached uh, the end of cycle 9. So the vision trial is to give you a short overview is a trial for relapse refractory patients where we actually are the first one, I think, that studied the combination of venetoclax and abrutinib for uh, 15, uh, 12 months of uh, combined treatment at full dose. And then randomized patients are stopped. Uh, uh, if they, we can see, we can stop treatment if they're MRD negative or they continue. And a randomization is a one to two randomization. So this, actually, this is the first trial that we look whether on this combination treatment, um, you could actually stop abrutinib instead of uh, give it uh, until relapse. And so far we have data on the first uh, nine cycles, mostly on safety. And it does look that the safety actually is not anything else than expected based on single agent treatment. So there is no uh, combined toxicity. And most of it was neutropenia, which is a known uh, complication of venetoclax. But also as I've seen in the monotherapy trials is that um, this neutropenia does not result in overt uh, infections. It's only pretty mild and only 20% of grade three infections were reported. If you look to early efficacy, we see that at uh, nine cycles, 
clinically at least, uh, 96 of the patients has responded with uh, 60% complete responses based on not on CT scans, but on clinic. And if you look to early MRD data, and that we have from uh, for 49 patients until cycle 12, you see very different venetoclax with uh, rituximab, for instance, like the Murano trial. Here we see that we have not yet reached the plateau, so MRD levels are going up. We're now at 12 months, we are at approximately 50, 40, 50%. And the question is if it will further rise uh, at month 15, where patients will be either randomized for stopping or, or continuous treatments. Finally, we have Tani Siddiqui of the City of Hope in California discussing the MRD status of relapsed refractory CLL patients after lysocell treatment in the Transcend CLL004 trial. CLL generally is an incurable disease, um, as you may know, and uh, we have a lot of new therapies out there for CLL, um, you know, targeted therapies, pills, etc., which can all control the disease reasonably well, but Cure rates, I mean, um, the deep CR rates and MRD undetectability rates are still wanting, especially when these new agents are used in monotherapy situations. And when patients progress after, let's say, brutinib or venetoclax type therapies, um, they actually have a very poor prognosis. They don't um, do very well at all for very long. So there are, there is, has been a need for newer treatments in that situation, especially, and that's kind of where CAR T cells come in. So. Um, JCAR-17 or Lisocell is uh, a CD19-targeted um, 41BB-containing autologous CAR T-cell product that we studied in Phase 1-2 setting, and I presented the Phase 1 results of that study. All patients on this study had to have failed a BTK inhibitor. It turned out to be brutinib in all of them, uh, 100%. We uh, presented data on about 23 patients across two dose levels. Um, uh, essentially, uh, there were more than half patients who had also failed uh, venetoclax in addition to ibrutinib, and um, uh, pretty much all patients had to fail, have failed two or three lines of therapy, depending on what uh, their risk category was um, of their CLL, meaning if they had TP53 mutation, et cetera, their porous disease, they could have failed just two lines of therapy, um, including ibrutinib, of course. So. Um, uh, like I said, we treated uh, 23 patients, nine on dose level one, 14 on dose level two, and uh, we uh, found that uh, this was generally pretty well tolerated. Um, you know, we look for specific side effects like cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity. We did find there were a lot of cytopenias, but that was just chemo-related because they, they all got lymphodepletion with fludarabine and cytoxin. CAR T cells take about three to four weeks to uh, manufacture and uh, pretty much about 17 of the 23 patients needed bridging therapy just to control their disease in the interim. Um, most of these uh, bridging therapy patients were actually on dose level two as it happened, and more high-risk patients were on dose level two as it happened, so there was a little bit of skew between dose level one and two. Uh, but in general, all of them were bad-acting CLL patients. And uh, the CRS rates were very uh, low, actually, on this study uh, with no grade four CRS uh, events and only about two out of uh, 23 having grade three CRS events. The rest, um, uh, there were about 
total of maybe 70% patients who had some grade of CRS, and it was pretty much all grade one and two manageable uh, issues. Neurotoxicity was also seen about 30% or so in these patients, but only about five of the 23 had grade three or four neurotoxicity, again, manageable and reversible. There were some tumor lysis syndrome uh, as well because of circulating you know, lymphocytes, uh, disease cells, and um, uh, three of those four patients with grade three or higher TLS or tumor lysis syndrome were reversible. Reversible. One or two did need respiratory and dialysis, but, uh, but they were reversible. One patient had very spontaneous tumor lysis because of severe or rapid disease progression, didn't respond to CAR T cells, and that patient actually passed away with TLS actually still occurring. Um, but died from disease progression, essentially. Um, as far as responses are concerned, the uh, overall response rate was pretty high. Uh, it was at 67, 68% um, uh, that we saw right away at the first disease assessment at day 30 with undetectably, undetectable minimal residual disease in the bone marrow um, as high as uh, 60% um, as well as early as day 30. And then these were maintained over time. So the longest follow-up, uh, well, the medium follow-up for the study thus far has been nine months, but the longest that three patients have gone out to right now is about 15 months, so more than 12 months, and they're still in CR, complete remission, MRD negative. So the p patients who uh, achieved MRD undetectability um, uh, seem to have maintained MRD undetectability thus far. There were about um, five patients who progressed overall on the study. Three of those were Richter's transformation, but with no detectable CLL anymore, unfortunately. So that's uh, you know unfortunate, and um, that's certainly an unmet need of being Richter's trans transformation across the board. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy this podcast. To find out more about CLL and the latest clinical trials, visit the CLL channel on vjhemonk.com and follow us on Twitter at vjhemonk to join the discussion.